Welcome to the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast, where business leaders tell their stories and share their insights. All our guests have a personal connection with Nottingham Business School. So listen, learn, enjoy and share. Welcome to a very special episode of the Nottingham Business School's Business Leaders Podcast with me, Mike Sassy, on the side of a frozen mountain in a slate carving workshop overlooking spectacular Coniston Water in the heart of the English Lake District. I'm up here to meet Brendan Donnelly, who owns and runs what must be one of the most remote manufacturing companies in England. He's a, a fan of the Business Leaders Podcast who wrote, asking ever so politely, why we never featured leaders who, and I'm going to quote them directly, get their hands dirty. So we took that as a challenge. And here we are now, inside the workshops of Brendan's award-winning Coniston Stonecraft, where for the last, or for almost five decades, stonemasons have carved signs, utensils, kitchenware, all from Cumbrian Slate, quarried just 10 miles away across the fells. It's an idyllic, if slightly chilly spot, but we're not here to admire the view. We've come in search of leadership insights from a from a very traditional manufacturer. Brendan, thank you for playing host to this episode of Nottingham Business School's Business Leaders Podcast. It's my pleasure, Mike, and uh, welcome to Coniston. It is a rather <laughs> cold day today. <laughs> it is indeed. I can't feel my toes. <laughs> so, this is a lovely spot, but, you know, we've got uh, what, 2,600 feet of Coniston Old Man Tarrant above us? And yeah. we're looking down on the, the deep, deep blue of Coniston Water. The deep grey today. Deep grey today. Um, the spectacular. How do you get any work done? Well, we're not here to look at the views. It's <laughs> it's a lovely place to work. We are very, very uh, blessed. But we arrive here at about 8 o'clock and we get down to work and we don't stop until 5 o'clock. And um, it's pretty much like that, whether we were working in a remote place or whether we're working in Harlow in Essex you know it's that's what we've got to do we've got to get stuff made but um it's not just the weather I'm guessing that can be harsh up here um, economics of working so remotely also difficult oh yeah incredibly difficult up here we have no roads so everything that we all the slate that we get has to come from a variety of quarries up to 10 miles away most of them are about one mile away. Um, <laughs> so we've got to go and pick them up in an in a L200 four-wheel drive truck. Because it's all, it all, correct me if I'm wrong on this, I've just come across some real sort of like uh, uh, rubble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We pick, <laughs> it up in, we pick it up in in, uh, in what's called clog, and that's just a great big boulder of slate. You pick up big boulders of slate, you put yeah. them on the on the, on the, back on of the, the flatbed. L, on the flatbed truck and we bring them up here. There's no there's no road. We we literally we drive it up a track and you luckily the L200 has ultra four wheel drive. <laughs> so we can do that and we can take up to about a ton up the up the mountain and then George will jump on the back of the truck and he'll he'll rive them. He'll find the bait line which is the line of least resistance. And then it'll drive them into bits that we can actually lift off the truck ourselves. Uh, how, and how often do you do that? We do it uh, a couple of times a fortnight, once a week maybe. A couple of times a week. Depends what we're working on. Sometimes we'll have to go to three different quarries because we need to make things out of three different types of slate. So we'll go to one quarry. The nearest quarry is, is um, just up the way, up in con up on the old man, and that's called Brandy Crag, and that produces a lovely grey slate. 
And then we'll go to other quarries and we'll get green slate and we'll go to other quarries and we'll get blue-grey or blue-black slate. And it just depends what we're working on. It depends what the slate masons require. And you turn them into beautiful signs, traditionally, and numbers for people's front doors, but then kitchen utensils, lovely... Um, uh, did I see a wine cooler there? Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. beautiful pieces where you incorporate glass into them and turn them into clocks and various... Yeah. We're a very traditional business in that we stick to what we know best. But I, since I started with the business... Um, we've started to look at other things that we can do. So we've gone from being purely pragmatic, this is what you need to work this, so rolling pins, etc., cetera, um, and, and signs, into this is a beautiful piece of slate, so let's make something beautiful out of it. And if it's an art piece, then fine. We like to think that we make coffee table books without them being actually a book. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned rolling pins there. Did I read somewhere about your rolling pins in... Yeah, we're, we're in... Um, Is it Fort, Harrods? Fortnum and Masons. Fortnum and Masons. Fortnum, yeah, your yeah. Rolling and pins they're doing very well in Fortnum and Masons, <laughs> which is lovely. So wait a minute, how do they get from the side of this mountain <laughs> to Fortnum and Masons? Well, we get them in clog form and we, we put them on the corer and we core them and then we polish them and then we fit, fit handles and then we send them off to Fortnum and Mason. But it's the sending off, so they presumably they're back on the flatbed and down, uh, the, down yeah. the post office? Or? No, back on the flatbed and luckily we've got a, a local um, uh, courier that will do all the will, worldwide courier for us. Good, good. So, all from, from, from yeah, Coniston, the Lake District? Up, they won't come up to the, uh, to the, the, the works, <laughs> but they'll come to the bottom of the hill. And, and we bottom. take them to the bottom of the hill. Right. Yeah. So anyway, right. So let's go back to the start. So you bought the business out of administration yeah. in 2020, yeah. just days before Britain went into its first pandemic yeah. lockdown. So yeah. on reflection, brave or foolhardy? Oh, incredibly stupid. <laughs> incredibly <laughs> stupid. When you, when you write your business plan, again, this comes back to what I was saying, why I wrote to you, because... Business people write business plans and they stick rigidly to business plans and they know where they're going. And, and little businesses, small, medium enterprises like ours, which incidentally make up the bulk of Britain's business, they they just wing it most of the time. You know, my business plan was to do certain things and nowhere in my business plan did I write in close for four months due to worldwide pandemic. <laughs> And almost go bankrupt in the in the in the in, in in that four months because although the government very kindly paid the staff, there's still loads of overheads that yeah. you've still got to pay. And people think, oh well, it's all right. He's he must be doing okay because his business is still there. Your business is still there, but you've got a huge new debt that that wasn't in the original business plan. So, but that must have been a very recent ultimate test of leadership. It was, it was, and you know you have to just you have to just roll your sleeves up and get on with it and do things that get you out of that position, and we did. We were very lucky. We got a we got a new bank loan. We got a bounce back loan. We uh, we had to make sure everything was okay, and we and we came out of the we came out of the pandemic actually with a quite a big order book because I'd been selling all through the pandemic. We came through the pandemic and said, right, let's 
let's go, let's make all these things. And it's interesting that you point to that because I've read stuff you've written on, on social media and, and, and you've written a book about this as well, haven't you? Yeah. That um, above everything, leaders have to be good salespeople, able I, to sell themselves and their products. As I think so, yeah. I think you take sales in the, in the broadest possible sense of the word. Leaders have to sell their ideas and their their enthusiasm and their vision to their subordinates or to their colleagues. But also, you've got to be very aware, if you're in a business that relies on sales, you've got to be very aware of still keeping that bucket full because if you let the sales go and you've got a big factory not producing anything, you will soon go out of business. And we, we are very, very aware. We plan all our work every single week. We know what we should be doing. We know to the pound what we should be producing. And we have a little bit of a mop-up at the end of the week. Why didn't we do that? And there's a million and one good reasons, but we try and reduce those reasons to a minimum. And so your sales is always there, always pushing you forward. A new sale, a new sale, a new sale. It is very beautiful up here, as, I, as I've said to you. And I listen to you now, and we, we, we've been chatting for the last hour or so. You obviously absolutely love it. You're completely wedded to the place, to the product, to what you do. Is that important for a leader? Um, in my case, very important. I'm a Cumbrian lad. I am hefted. We have our own word for it. I am hefted. <laughs> hefted. Is that to these, weight or something? To these fells. No, it's like the sheep are hefted to the, to oh, particular I see. fells. Right, right, right. I, I am hefted to these fells. I love it. I think that this business and this uh, this way of life is too important to let vanish. You know, it's easy for it to go. And then when it's gone, people go, oh, wouldn't it be nice if they did it themselves? Wouldn't it be nice if we'd made those in Britain? But we still do it. We are one of, I think, the last five or six slate masonries, slate masons in England. I don't know how many there are in Wales because they have their own um, slate industry. And I'm hoping that it's very... Uh, it's very good in Wales, but there's not many of us in in um, in England. In, in England. Yeah. And the, the concentration of, of it is in the Cumbrian slate fields. And part of that is because we produce such lovely, beautiful slate, slate that you can't find anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Westmoreland uh, Green and Brathay Blue Grey, they are very, very interesting slates. I mean, we're surrounded by pieces of it. It, it, it yeah. really is beautiful. Um, you touch upon, on a, on a word that, that all business people uh, are, are speaking of at the moment. You, you didn't mention the word specifically, but it feeds into it, sustainability. You're talking about Cumbrian slate, yeah. about only using slate that you pick up from a few miles down the road or across the fell. Yeah. So tell me about sustainability. How important is that to your business, to your leadership? Um, it's it's important to me, and we've made it throughout. We, when I first took over, I asked the the people here, and I said, "What? What? How do you want this to to work?" And sustainability is important to us all. So we looked at every every part of the business. So we get our our electricity from the hydroelectric power station, literally seventy five yards down the back. It's 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 unbelievable. It's like a, a tiny little building a, on the on the fast flowing back, and, and that keeps the lights on here. Doesn't yeah, it? and it, and it is a, a, a small. Uh, hydroelectric station the beck is literally it's only about three yards wide that's it but it comes from higher up the mountain it's fed yeah, down yeah. by a tube it goes into um, the turbines and it produces electricity 24 7 365 days a year and 
there's no shortage of water around here. <laughs> so that's great. But we also looked at, at things like uh, how we packaged our stuff. We were packaging using bubble wrap. We now no longer buy any bubble wrap. We haven't bought bubble wrap for four years. We have very helpful people in the bike industry who provide us with their waste bike boxes, which are double-walled double, double -walled bike boxes, so they're ideal. For which, which you cart in from down the road in Carlisle, as I yeah, understand it. Yeah, cart them in the back of my van. <laughs> I have a, a very good friend who is in the rag trade in Lancashire, and he just gives me all the seconds. So anything that's quite delicate, we wrap in rag, then we wrap in cardboard. We've even got, um, for clocks, we've got a, a supplier who gives us the waste from Malcolm Wilson's rally cars when they strip out everything from the former world champion rally driver, former world, former Cumbrian world Cumbrian champion, world champion rally, rally driver. driver. Okay. So all his rally cars, when they're preparing them, they rip out all the gubbins from the inside of the the bonnet and the inside of the uh, walls and the, the doors, and they replace them with this sort of black polystyrene stuff. And we get sheets of that that they would just throw out into into landfill. And we, we love it because it's fantastic for doing what we do. So we don't have any sort of problem with breakages as well, which is really good. It's fantastic. But getting back to the slate, one of your one of your I know one of your big bugbears, you you wrote to you wrote to us about it and but I've seen you've written written out on social media about it as well, is that you only use Cumbrian slate, that they yeah. you know they have a tiny carbon footprint, and yet your biggest competitor is, is slate, which comes from the other side of the world. Yeah. And you had the local university here, University of Cumbria, did a did a, a piece of academic work on this to show that the, the, the footprint of the slate that comes here from China is 14 times that of the of the slate that you produce. And yet when it arrives here in Britain, it's a fraction of your of the price of your own of your own stuff. How does that how does that make you feel? It's very, very difficult because it makes me feel rubbish. But um <laughs> equally, how do they do that? The, you know, when you look at it and you say there's a catch here, in general there's a catch. So there must be some catch there. And it's coming in, It's come. it was 438 kilograms per tonne, which is almost half a tonne for every tonne that they process. It was coming in via the Red Sea. So I suppose it's now got even more <laughs> e-carbon footprint. Yeah. And we're, you know, everybody that you speak to is all about let's reduce our carbon footprint. Well, let's start with things like things that we can manage. Mm -hmm. And the more that we take from our English quarries, the better we better chance we've got of battering the price down. You know, because English quarries, if you fill them full of people working, will produce more, will means that we'll get better pricing. Sure. How do you use things like that in your own leadership? Um I tend to just point it out to people and let them decide. Mm -hmm. Um our buyers uh, are Either, they, take, they have one of two reactions. They either go, it doesn't matter, the price is right, or they go, I hadn't realised that, and I will now re readjust what I'm doing. And sometimes it doesn't work in my favour. They readjust and they take European slate or they take slate from uh, one of the other Cumbrian uh, stonemasons. Quite frankly, if they, if they readjust and take slate from the Cumbrian stonemasons, that's a victory as far as I'm concerned. Sure. And you, but you use that, that, that made in Cumbria, that Cumbrian slate as your USP, unique selling point. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we're very, very proud of being Cumbrian. We've been here 50 years, near. 
48 years. <laughs> 48 years. And we intend to be here for another 50 years. And we do that by being honest and transparent with people. We don't hide it. We don't. We are very, very proud. And we invite people up to come and have a look. You know, if somebody wants to come and have a particular type of slate, come and see it. Come and have a look around our stockyards. So... In terms of your own leadership, before Coniston Stonecraft, you had a, had a, a couple of small businesses in the lic- licensing and motor trades, pubs and garages to you and me. Yeah. Um, you've already explained how hard it is to be ex- an ex-successful entrepreneur. So what is that attraction to you? Why do you go back to what's the attraction of running your own business, being your own leader? I am I think in my case, it's just pure pig-headedness. Um, but there's, there's a certain good feeling that you get when something that you think is right proves to be right and something and also if you do stuff wrong it's right that you should take the rap for it so you're constantly it's it's like a constant moving game of chess when you're when you're your own entrepreneur and you're trying desperately to make a business work i see a lot of people who say that they're you know business turnaround agents and they go i've took this from five grand five million to eight million. That's not turning around a business. That's just improving a business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's where, how do you get from the naught to the first five million? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that was that was part of the reason that I wrote to you because yeah. it. I don't have a problem with the people that you that you the great luminaries, the uh, yeah, the lords and ladies, the lords and ladies, the OBEs. They're, they're fantastic, fantastic people. But it's got to be a little bit different when you are already got a really good turnover you've got staff yes. of 100 you've got people doing your bid and call when you're actually do going to the quarry and picking up a lump of slate and appraising whether this is going to make your money or not mm-hmm. then that's that's the real to my mind that's test your leadership skills yeah, test your leadership skills a bit more okay so uh, as you know this is this is a podcast for the nottingham business school which is a place chock Full of full of leaders and would be leaders. So, in your experience, uh, what advice, one piece of advice, might you give to them to uh, to help them in their careers? I. It's a very good question. I think that you just need persistence, belief in yourself, and you need to be pre- prepared every day to go the extra inch. Don't go the extra mile. Right. The extra mile is for is for one or two people. But go the extra inch. Just make sure that you're better than everybody else by that extra little bit. You don't need to win the race by seven seven furlongs. You need to win the race by a nose. I presume that's a fell race, is it? No, it's a horse racing term. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just the same in fell racing. You know, if you if you if you just win the race, that's all you need to do. You just need to be a little bit better, and you should be looking at everything that you do all the time. Marginal gains. Marginal yeah. gains. Yeah, Brailsford. Yeah. Marginal gains. And I think that will that makes the difference. And I think that's the way that a lot of people are running businesses now. They're looking at how can we just make one or two little things little, just a little bit better. Brendan Donnelly, that is fantastic advice. Manufacturer, entrepreneur, business leader, on the side of a mountain, in the remotest corner of England. Thanks very, very much for being our guest for this episode of the Business Leaders Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then why not check out some of the others that are also available, including those with the chair of the FA, Debbie Hewitt, England Women's Rugby World Cup winner Maggie Alfonsi, MBE, 
and the Vice-Chancellor of Nottingham Trent University, Professor Edward Peck, CBE. The Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast is produced for Nottingham Trent University by Celtic Tiger Productions. Your presenter was Mike Sassy, and your producer was John Collins. Thank you.